Warning, the content in this podcast contains some explicit language which may be offensive to some listeners and may be inappropriate for children. Therefore, the content in this podcast is intended for a mature audience only. So, would you fall in love with hip-hop? Right here, what we're going to do is go back. Your weekend was? I had a, 
kind of relaxed the weekend. I, I did a lot of relaxing. I got a lot of good sleep in. I usually work about seven days a week, so it felt good to be able to kind of get some rest, uh, get some rest in. I've been looking forward to this podcast. This actually, I want to say thank y'all. This is the very first podcast I've ever been on, so thank y'all. Quite a lot, though. You say seven days a week, though. You working like a Jamaican? Ain't that what they say? Look, you, you got a lot of jobs to go. No, I, well, yeah, but, uh, I do. I do do a lot in the community with Pony, uh, Pony City, but I have a moving company uh, with my pops full time. So every day we kind of take every job we get, get as much uh, revenue and money as we can make. So plug it. What's the name of it? Sales Warriors. Y'all can look up Sales Warriors on uh, Facebook, or you can come reach out to me. Uh, I get your business card, Sales Warriors. We're the best movers in the city. Okay. Yeah. That's what's up. Quinn. All right. So for me. Um, I had a lot going on, man. I had a date night with the wife. Cool. So, well, you enjoyed that. We, we got to see uh, Where you take Bad Boys. Okay. Real good. Real good. Uh, also did some work for a couple of companies that we have, which is Culture Fits. Uh, we do screen print embroidery for a lot of schools and businesses around the area. Uh, we also have a nail salon, too, called Inspired Nail Bar, which is located in Midtown. So, okay. so we got it in. So so we've heard that there are mixed reviews on the Bad Boy movie. So we need to know, like, legit, is it dope or is it, like, trash? Is it in between? Does it compare to the first one, second one? I thought it was pretty good. It was put together. Of course, action-packed. A lot of action throughout the entire movie. So it was perfect. Okay. I, I enjoyed it. I actually went and saw it yesterday. Uh, I enjoyed it, too. I don't feel like it lives up to the first one, but you know, it's always kind of. I don't think anything kinda, can ever yeah. live up to the first one. <laughs> I don't think so either. But do y'all think the age plays a factor, though, because they're older now? Yeah. I mean, do you think that plays a factor? <laughs> it played a factor with maybe the script, with the script and how they were going about the plot, but. It wasn't taken the first Well, I watched an interview where Will said that he wanted this bad boys to have like a message, to have things behind it to like actually mean something. So maybe that's where people are kind of seeing that because the first bad, first two didn't really have like that energy in it. But he said he felt like this last one had to have like some um, some valuable lessons in it. So I guess as you get older, you kind of catch that vibe, maybe. So basically, what did y'all learn from it? Uh, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it for nobody. I know, right? <laughs> so don't, so don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. I mean, do you what feel you like it was like about life lessons? Uh, just stick close to those who stick close to you. <laughs> okay. That's what's up? Okay. That's okay. A That's a good lesson. That is. What about you, Quinn? Um, uh, for me, it was more. Uh, it kind of goes where my mom was talking about it. Like the things you do today impact your tomorrow. So some of the things he did in the past came to haunt him. And so, like he said, I don't want you to go away with me, but they definitely came back. So that clearly means that there was a lesson in there. So I think maybe that's where people are losing it at. It's because the first two bad boys didn't really have that touch to it. And like I said, Will did say in his interview on the Breakfast Club that that's what he wanted it to yeah. do. Like he wanted it to have a message. So maybe that's where there's a disconnect. So I have a question. Are y'all going to see uh, coming to America? Do y'all think it can meet the standards of the first one? No, no. I don't think it'll meet the standards of the first one, but I think uh, I think it'll be dope. Uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see where they go with this. 
Well, Bad Boys 2 didn't meet the, meet the standards of Bad Boy 1. I think that was just as dope. And I even Fast and Furious had some really dope, like, trilogies. I just think that, like, coming to America, what are we going to talk about? Lisa and um, Hakeem, like, Joaquin, his, Hakeem, Hakeem's kids? Like, what are we going to do with When you talk about, like, Fast and Furious, though, like, you know, they get, like, multiple shots at it, though, because, you know, they got, like, four or five of them. So, exactly. you get multiple chances. Not everyone is... No, but the first and second one was was pretty dope. That's what I'm saying. We talking about number two on coming to America though. Yeah, yeah, maybe I don't know. Like I said, I'm curious. I don't think where it go. Because Eddie Murphy not even as funny as he used to be. Let's be honest. Eddie Murphy is one of my favorite comedians, but let's be real, Eddie Murphy in his 20s and Eddie Murphy in his 50-somethings ain't the same Eddie Murphy. Like you, that, That's true. That's he's true. daddy's daycare, Eddie Murphy. Nobody really thought he was funny. <laughs> like, Not at all. He a grandpa now. But exactly. you thought the, what you say, you thought the little was funny? On Girl, no, I thought, the, I thought Nutty Professor was hilarious. The that first one... Funny for me. You don't watch movies anyway. It don't so matter, but I still suck. <laughs> I don't. And by the way, I just saw Coming to America last right. year. Right. Yeah. She's not even a good critic here. 2019. A white man was like, I'm taking your black card. I said, you can't do that. Yeah, he took it. He took it for real. Because you ain't never seen Coming to America. She probably ain't seen Color Purple either. I did. She, she, she probably has seen it all. Was that last year? If he ain't seen it, he's gonna be laughing because he ain't seen it. Either. So, oh, Tyson, you're taking your car too. Are you serious? You haven't seen that car before? Yeah, it's been. Quinn, please, please tell us you've seen color. Yeah, it's been a very long time. We need three. We need three out of five over here to to see you with their black car. I got forced to watch it, so yeah. Okay, forced to watch it win. You gotta put the mic to him. Don't be my mom. <laughs> so your parents didn't watch Coming to America? Yeah, I seen that too. That's what I said. You I watched it when funny. you were little. I mean, that was wrong with comedy. That's different from Color Purple. Okay, it is. You're right. I used to see Color Purple in pieces just like I used to see The Temptations in pieces. Like, I never saw The Temptations all the way through because I was a kid when I was watching I feel it. like that's what, how it is with me. Like, I, I've seen glimpses of the color purple, but I've never sat and watched the whole thing. Man, that's my movie. That's actually my favorite movie. I got it down, though. I got it down to go watch. As an, as an adult, you should definitely watch Color Purple. Please do. But it's okay. Dante can't talk on Eddie Murphy anything because she didn't even know who Eddie Murphy was till last year. I didn't know who Eddie Murphy was. I'm not a movie person, but y'all know that. Y'all know. You do. You like them low budget movies. I do like low budget movies. Low budget where they send their arm into the um, camera. <laughs> That's how low budget she like it. When they didn't walk past the camera a couple times. The microphone hanging from the ceiling. No, so low budget they filming with their phone. Like, <laughs> she do like the low budgets like that. Right. It ain't even through the table. It drops down into like the film every now and then. <laughs> like I said, and they pass by their whole hand, and all you see is their hand because clearly they forgot the the camera was there and nobody edited that out. I mean, we watched one today, a, a trailer, and I was like, oh, I got to see that. Yeah, you did. But the whole arm like went in front of the camera. <laughs> <laughs> I think it can't keep my interest longer though. 
Hey, that's the entertaining part of it because the acting is so bad. Yeah, that's no. Why I like it. Mm. 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 Amazon Prime, Urban Movie Channel. That's where they are. And they free. They, no, I gotta pay. They ain't free. Uh, I gotta pay. If it's on Amazon, you paying for that. You paying for that. But I pay four ninety nine. It's worth it. Yeah. She does. She loves them. Not just likes them. She loves them. Yeah. You'll catch Dante on a Saturday watching low budget movies. But you watching too. No, not low budget as you did. Like, I can't get with the arm in between. The, like, if you didn't know to edit that out, that's a problem for me. She said you said the right way. <laughs> like, you said, watch it. You have to watch their back. Like, you have to go, like, I'm confused at how you didn't see the man take the drink and stick it through. Like, so, what's going on here? Anyway, enough about me. Do you have a question for us? I do have a couple questions. So, I'm going to start off with a really fun question. And I would like for the um, crowd to be a little interactive in this question because we're going to ask a question, a fun question. Y'all brace yourself because it has absolutely nothing to do with the topic, okay? Okay, you listening? Yes, I'm listening. If you had a sexual freaky power, what would it be? A sexual freaky power. What would it be? I would be like, I would, I would, I would like to see you do some pants and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can see a brother walk past and be like, yeah. yeah. Like, that, way you, that way you can wear pants. That way you can worry. You ain't got to worry about wasting your time on it. Like, I don't even want. I don't want to just see him through his pants. Because it could be big and then not do nothing. Right. right. I want to, like, right. give me your, like, your resume. Like, right. You really right. Wash your face. <laughs> I want to see a scene from part of what you've done before. A scene? And maybe a scene. I need to see, like, something. Oh, like on Raven when she do the splash. Yeah, I can go back. Yeah, like, I need to flash, flash back on that. I need to see. Like, I didn't know I need to flash yeah. back. I need to go back and see a, a moment when you was in the bed putting it down. And then that might make me feel like. That's, that, that's worth right. it. That's it. There okay. you go. What about y'all? Mine, mine will be going back in time. You got flashback like that? Yeah, you can't get everybody you all the time. Okay. Right. I think mom be, be convincing her to say yes to whatever fantasy I want. Convincing her to say yes. Ooh, that might be a little different. Because that might be something. Everybody like tied up, like, yes. Another woman in the bedroom, yes. Five women in the bedroom, yes. So just whatever, just yes. Oh, okay. Dante, what's your, what would be your sexual freaky power? I, just, I agree with y'all. No, listen, I think mine would be what is to know exactly like what he want to do, everything that he want me to do to him without me having to guess. And so that way, like... It blow his mind, but I already know. But he like, well, damn, like she did everything. I want to read his mind. I want to read his mind. So you want to be like Taraji P. Henson exactly. on that movie? Um, only sexually though. Right. I don't she... want to know everything that a man thinks. <laughs> oh, um, what, what is it? What a man think? Well, uh-huh. what men think? Because she was blowing in one man's mind in that bed because he kept telling her what she wanted in his mind. Yes. And then he, she was blowing his mind. He's exactly. like, how does she That's know she I wanted to do. to do that? So let me blow your mind without having to work so hard for it. Like, let me know. Let you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> so do we have anybody in the audience who would like to share their sexual freaky power? Come on, Kiana. What, what sexual freaky power would you guys like to have? Mine is a secret. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's a secret. 
Not tonight. Not tonight. KK said, leave me here. I'm going to be Christian like today. Y'all not put, y'all not getting me out today. Exactly, right? I'll tell y'all about it all for rest. Hold on. I have a question, though, like for the poets, because you're a poet. And y'all do like erotic poetry. And some of that stuff is like so freaky. Like, do y'all really match y'all freakiness? I'm saying, I'm just curious. Like, is she really talking about real life stuff? Some of the poets do. Like what you talk about, are you a balance? I do, yeah. I talk about, in my, in my poetry, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I, some, I some, some of them do. Some of them I make them all mine. You say you make it up? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. You make your freaky, Kiana? I make them every bit up. So none of that is my experience. She knows. No, no, no. She doesn't. Okay. Yeah, all fiction. All fiction. All fiction? Of course. My nephew's up there. We can't talk about that. <laughs> oh, okay. But he heard you. It's fiction, though. He usually go, I saw. <laughs> okay. So we're... Uh-huh. Was we going any further? Okay. I was about to just go on and go to the next question. So next question. On a serious note... So since today is Martin Luther King's birthday, we wanted to bring it in with some talking about peace and some of the things that's gone on in the community. And if you guys have watched the news recently, then you have seen that we've had several violent acts as recent as what, Saturday? We got a That was on Saturday? Right. So, like, that's crazy. Because I don't know that I've lived here all my life and there's never been a shooting in the mall. So, things like that. So, we really want to talk about that. So, one of the questions. Crossroads. It used to happen at Crossroads. I never went to Crossroads. Growing up, I lived on the north side. So, as far as we went, was Penn Square Mile. That's it. That's never, it. never. Well, I was on Crossroads because I was the East Side, because I was in between. <laughs> you could have went to the Penn yeah, Square Mile. I went to both. I went to okay. Yeah, in between, I went to uh, Penn Square and Crossroads. Oh, okay. Well, no, I never. We never had any shootings at any of the malls that I went to. But that makes me afraid to send my own kid, like who's now currently right. seventeen and in that like phase of like driving her own car and being able to get herself to places like that, things like that. Like I'm almost kind of hesitant to be like, uh, you might have to ride with me to the mall going forward, like. Because if somebody goes to shoot, I need to be able to protect you. So it's not even about the shooting for me. It's actually the trafficking. So I took my kids, my college student child, and my other two kids, teenagers, to the mall with me. And I was like, they were like, well, we're going to rock around. I said, nope. What store y'all going in? Because we all got to go together. And my daughter was like, so you telling me my grown self got to walk with you? I said, yes, you do. If you roll with me, you got to walk with me. So where are we going? I mean, now, I, I do, me and Anaya can't go to, like, I, she can't go to the bathroom by herself. That's weird. Because, I mean, well, I know it's not really weird, but I'm not letting her go to the bathroom. But the thing is, there's been girls that have been kidnapped out of the bathrooms. So I'm not okay with going with you going to the bathroom by yourself. I need to know what store you're at so that when I che- we check in and you text me on a regular basis and let me know where you're at. So it's not like a just random roam. Whereas when we were younger, it was okay to just kind of roam the mall and be okay with the mall. Like I don't get meet me back here at a certain time. Right. No, I had a strict mama, so I had to walk everywhere with her as well. So my kids got to do the same, and they had attitudes, and I was like, I don't care. Y'all shouldn't have told me to take y'all to the mall, and when y'all get a car, you can go by yourself. But if y'all with me, I got to go with y'all. So where are we going? 
<laughs> but even at this point, you know, having a car, I, I probably still don't want my son going like by himself at this point. What's going, what's been going on? Lately. But you can't control it though. Oh, I can control no, it. No, because he don't have to tell you. What if he, he doesn't? Says, what if he doesn't tell you and he just goes to the I mall? I know where he's at. Yeah. I mean, luckily he tell you, but he doesn't. So my, I mean, what if he, he ain't going to tell you? So I don't know where. My, 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 yeah, I've been doing oh. him since I was little. We grew up, yeah. you know, Crescent Hills together, moving to school. That's together. why her mama was strict and said she couldn't go to the mall by herself. <laughs> exactly. But it I really stuck out, though. See, so, yeah, no. I have a, my, my daughter, current, me and my daughter currently, I share her, we share each other's location. So I know where my daughter is currently right now. So if I go pull up her stuff, I know where she's at right well, we now. we didn't have iPhones. Well, we but I mean, that's what I'm saying, I have that. So for me, the blessing is that I, I do have a daughter who's honest about where she's going to be, where she's at, when she's going to be there. I'm blessed for that. You know, I know that not every parent has that, but I'm blessed that I have that. Exactly. Right. I think that's the, the key to, you know, really teach a kid, you know, the way that they should be. You know, you got a lot of parents that don't take the time to parent their children. You know, they're more worried about going out to the club and stuff with their friends versus taking care of the number one responsibility. True. Yeah. Okay, so questions. What are three things that you see need to be changed in the black community here? Uh, I'll start with number one. Um, I think as black people, we need to stop being scared to do things, uh, you know, like starting our own business. Uh, if we see issues that come up in our community, it's always, you know, you run it somewhere else when, hey, you got the same mind as everybody else, and you can stand up and be your own. So just, you know, taking that accountability and supporting yourself. Just like uh, the same fact is in the grocery store you should ever have on the inside, right? We want everybody else to fix our problems when, hey, we know who got money, but guess what? We got money too. We do whatever we want with our money. So that's number one for me. Uh, a big one for me would be create an outlet for young black men who suffer from disadvantages. And uh, what I mean by that is uh, maybe they lost the father, um, maybe they're homeless, uh, maybe they have a financial uh, problem. A lot of these disadvantages we're letting, we're letting these young black men deal with on their own. And as men, we have to step up. We have to start bringing them under our wings. And um, it, it can be simple stuff as far as, when I say create an outlet, I don't mean like a non-profit organization. I mean, take them off fishing. You know, do men's retreat. I remember when I was a kid growing up, those were things that were big for me, things that, you know, I didn't even know why I was going out to a men's retreat. But the fact that I went, I got knowledge from a different, it wasn't even just my own father, I got knowledge from a different male and their perspective from life that they got to teach and pass it down to me, some of the things that they learned growing up. So I feel like I started creating some more outlets, giving back to that, creating outlets for our, our young black men. So do you guys, Mika, Dante, do either of you guys have anything that would answer that question, like a number three? Um, people probably just need to step up and actually be involved. I mean, if more people be involved, I think everybody just kind of hush-hush and everybody does their own thing. I mean, the more that I think, the more people that come together and actually help out instead of just talking about it, and we put some action behind it, I mean, I think it would be more, you know, where people can actually, you know, with the community. 
I think that people just need to be step up more. Yeah, I actually agree with all three. Y'all think that it takes a village to raise a community, and I think like we've gotten away from that or whatever, and I think that if we all just like pitch in, and if you see somebody's kid doing bad, like help them, teach them, like guide them, instead of just turning the other cheek. So I think that we all need to work on that. Um, I want to add to that too. I think another big uh, issue we need to speak in the black community is about sex and the uh, powers and responsibilities of sex. Um, I feel like a lot of black men, we bring a lot of these babies in this world and we're not even stable enough to take care of ourselves. So now you have a choice of taking care of your own self-worth or self-worth or being able to provide for your child, you know. And then a certain mentality after a while becomes, you know, I'm gonna defend and make it happen for me and my child by any means necessary, even if I'm losing myself in the process and I lean on a state of violence, you know. Um, I'm, at the moment, all I'm thinking about is providing the best, the best means for me and my child. So I think we need to start educating our, our black young men about sex and what we're bringing children into. You know, um, the child doesn't know what happens. You know, when they come out the womb, we're bringing them into this world. So we have to have more control, and we have to be able to spread the knowledge of some of the things, the issues that they're going to have to go through. You know, early fatherhood is a challenge for a lot of young black men. So I actually have a question, like if, because clearly like it's a lot of absent fathers in the black community. So if you had a friend, this is a question, if you all had a friend that was like a deadbeat father, would you all bring him to his attention or would you turn out the cheek? I just want to know like what type of friend would you be to a friend that's a bad father to a kid? Oh no, the way me and my homeboy grow, man, if you not being there for your kid, we'll grow. We're crying, like, nah, that's not cool, man. It's like, you don't feel weird. If you come in our circle, you don't feel weird not doing what you're supposed to do for your child. And uh, it pushes stuff further. It doesn't have to be just an absent father or father pastor. It's fathers in their own son's lives who are just crickets, really. You know, I know what that's like, you know. Um, at the end of the day, a father and a son have to speak to each other. They have to really engage in one another to really make that transition, you know. So for me, um, you know, I came from a single parent household. So I didn't have a dad there. Um, one thing that I learned while growing up was, you know, just because I don't have one right there, it doesn't take anything else from me, right? Um, but I gave him a chance. I think a lot of people want to be like, you know, I never want to see this person again. Sometimes you got to give a person a second chance. You know, my uncle told me, he's like, it was, for me it was stupid, right? It didn't make sense, but it made sense. It was like, what if he was being the best dad he could be? You know, for me, I'm like, well, you know, he wasn't stepping up, you know, being accountable. But then, on the other hand, um, you know, once he kicked his habits, some people don't think about the mental issues, you know, the addictions that a lot of people go through. You know, we look at it and be like, man, you should do it just because I'm here. No, they got to beat that habit. And I can't say for this day and time, you know, me and my dad, we're, we're very involved with each other. Um, he's involved with the kids, you know, with my other uh, siblings that's around. So, you know, it's it's pretty much night and day. Yes, you know, I'm 30 years old, right? And it took that long for him to become a father. And, you know, I appreciate that and value that. Um, so that's, that's my two cents. So next question, how would we as a people begin to walk in the direction of the change? So I think a lot of times um, what I recognize in our community is we have all these different things that we recognize are issues, but we have no solutions for them. So how would we, how would somebody, case in point, start a business or um, 
give knowledge to the children in the community so that we can start actually planting those seeds versus just looking at them. Because I think currently we, what happens is we just look at the seeds on the table. We have all these different ideas and all these different, um, I mean, especially since now we're like, um, we have a lot of knowledge at our hands. So we see all of these different things that are available and possible to do. But how do you overcome the fear of creating a business? Or how do you educate the kids in the neighborhood about um, sex, sex education and what that looks like in the black community and how to preserve themselves, things like that? I just want to answer this real quick. I know that we have a lot of knowledge at our hands, but a lot of times we don't really know where to start. So it's like we have all this knowledge, but it's like, what is step one? What is step two? And you might ask somebody, and, and somebody that may have been through that, but they won't necessarily help you get through Amen. that. And Amen. so it's like you have to try to learn all this stuff on your own, and you're not really able to because it's like, where do I start? Right. So I think that part of it, so then maybe that's a place to start, is asking, like, how do I? And even if you never get the answer, never stop asking. So for me... I look at a lot of things in life as excuses, right? Um, yeah, if I can change one thing, I would change us, helping one another as, as black people, because you know when I go out the country to buy and different areas like that, they're working together. I don't care if it's the poorest of the poorest country, you know, like I've been to Jamaica and you're looking like, man, they don't have nothing, but they're working together. So for me, like, you have to work together, you have the internet. You know, when I started Stop the Violence, we had a group of people all, all get together, right? We had one common vision, which was to stop the violence. Now, when we looked at it, it was more gang violence, right? People shooting, fighting, but we had to take that step and say, okay, hey, we actually want to be a 501 organization, right? So we had to take our steps. The first thing that I would recommend people to do is to write down your goals and your visions. Write them down, that's the only way that you'll be able to sort of accomplish because you can sort of working that stuff off the list, right? Just don't write it down. What Dr. Martin Luther King say? He said, I have a dream, right? Don't just dream about it, put action to it. So you gotta get out there. Even if you don't know how to do it, you're gonna learn from your mistakes. There's so many things that, that I went through with each business. I didn't know nothing about a screen print embroidery business. I got out there, educated myself. I'm still learning to this day. I still don't know nothing about nails. But my sister wanted an else line, so hey, we went in together and we made it happen. Uh, same thing with the nonprofit. I know what it takes to be perfect, right? I want to be one. When we sort of stopped the violence, I said, "Look, I'm comparing us to United Way. I'm comparing us to Urban League. I don't care about if we have negative ten dollars in our account, you know." So I set that limit, and, and from our website and everything that we offer the kids. You know, I raise the bar. So that's the first thing, just just taking it in and just learning it and out finding it. And network. You're gonna find somebody that knows some information about that business. One of the knows is gonna turn into a yes. Um, all right, so I got two ways I look at it. Um, from like a business standpoint, um, those of us who are, we all, every community has community leaders, uh, people in the community that has influence, you know. For those who, who are tapped into that, we have to do better bringing more safe zones, more safe areas for people to get all into the same walls that, that value being safe and value getting to know each other. Um, that's something else, too, I want to stress is I feel like nowadays a lot of people are afraid to get to know the person next to them. 
get to know the people who you're really surrounded by? How can we? How can you really form a village and take off and be be the strong strongest Wakanda? Wakanda, you know what I'm saying? And I don't even know, you know, the person next to me, or I'm afraid of so and so that down the street because I heard this or that. You know, we have to um, really start to break down walls so we can allow us to be able to take the steps towards change. And then on the other um, end, I want to say that it comes down to self at the end of the day. Like, it's not about um, so-and-so, they're not taking the steps towards what we need to make change. Or I'm tired of hearing people say uh, all these different things, but nobody's doing nothing. What are you doing at the end of the day? What are you doing at the end of the day? Uh, when I went out to um, 19th and Arbor, and I went with the sign saying, black men, please don't kill other black men. I went out there the first time uh, by myself. Nobody else came out, uh, and then my two friends came out. And we went by Pinsgrove Mall that day as well. But just the fact that two other people came and joined me, you know, and spreading that message showed that two other people cared. You know what I mean? And numbers grow over time, but you just have to do it. You can't quit letting all the other stuff, all the other stuff make you hesitate, you know. You just gotta implement your plan that you see as a way to affect the community and just do it. Even if you by yourself, you gotta ride that out until some other people come join you, but you gotta show them. You might have to come back and get everybody else, but you gotta show them that there's another way, another method. We don't have to keep killing each other, keep shooting each other. Um, we can limit this, man. We can bring it down, but it starts with self. You have to take that first step before anybody else. So the next question I have is the solution versus complaints. So how do we move away from the complaints? Because like so many times, like I said, we've had like... Um, I think one of the biggest things for me or the biggest issues for me is the comparison of black on black crime and then Black Lives Matter. Um, when we stop and say, well, we say black lives matter, but we have black on black crime. I think they're two different arguments. And I think a lot of people compare them when we should not be comparing them, when we should be dealing with them as two completely different issues. Um, uh, on that right there, maybe you might not say compare them, but I'll hold, I'll hold them accountable. I'll hold them accountable. Because you have to hold them accountable. You have to. Because when, when, when you share the same skin color as me, you pull that bullet. You know, we was on the same team. We on the same team at the end of the day, and you just took away from us. You just took away from us. So I got to hold you kind of black lives matter. I'm black lives, you black lives. I should matter to you. That's right. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to make it a contest, but I'm saying you got to also hold that in accountability too when you say those words. Black lives matter. That doesn't just mean for the white folks, for the Asian, us too. So I actually agree with you. Um, on that whole the Black Lives Matters and I remember not too long ago because I'm single and I was dating well not really dating this guy but I was talking to this guy and we were kind of having that argument about you know we get so mad at the white man for killing us but we kill ourselves every day you know and it's not it's, we are, we're not only taking one life but we're taking two lives because you one is in the ground and one is in prison for life because they don't have an issue with putting us in prison for life and so it's two lives gone and so my thing was I get that we get so upset about, 
you know, white people killing us, but let's stop killing ourselves. We're not setting an example for anybody. And so this person was so upset at me and was calling me, you're not better black people, and like just completely went off on me. But I love my black people. But at the same time, we have to stop killing each other. We have to set an example. And if we're not setting an example, how do we expect for them to care about us if we're not caring about ourselves? Exactly. Okay, so I have a concern. When you say black on black crime, that infuriates me. Because what we do is demonize ourselves. Is it okay for a white person to kill a black person? But if we black and black person kills another black person, they demonize us. When you look at all the statistics, they say there are more black people on welfare than there are white people. That's not true. That's not true. They look at the overall numbers, they look at the population, and that's how they demonize us. They say, well, because you're only this so much of the population, and 40% of your population is on welfare. That means y'all, there are more y'all on welfare. I hate the term black on black crime. The thing is, is we're, uh, you guys are upset when the white man kills, but nobody is brushing it under the rug. It's the elephant under, in the room. I'm not when brushing we anything under the rug. I'm saying that I'm saying we, that's what they're doing. When you say black on black crime, I hear white people say black on black crime. Well, you got black on black crime. What does that mean? It's okay for a white and Asian, uh, Hispanic, my brother to kill my son, it's not. Wrong is wrong. But when we demonize it and say black on black, that's where that stigma comes in. And, and it demonizes well, us. I, want, I, want, I, want I just don't want people to get, only get upset when the white man kills. We want to be upset with everybody. When the, with everybody. Well, see, this is the other part. Let me say this too, because as in our community, you can give it to her. we're the only community that focuses on black on black. There's no, there's still Asian on Asian crime. There's still white on white crime. There's still Indian on Indian crime. They're still killing each other. But what happens is they justify killing us by saying, well, y'all kill each other. So why does it, why does it matter? You know, why, why should we be as concerned about your plight or, or your fight with us about, you know, your Black Lives Matter campaign. You're out here talking about Black Lives Matter, but you guys kill each other. And I feel like sometimes I think it steps back, and I do believe we have to set an example, but I do believe that what happens is it still takes away from the fact that they continue to kill us, and they continue to walk away from it, and they continue to act like our lives do not matter. And I think that's a completely different argument than talking about black on black crime. How, when was the last time you heard white on white crime? When was the last time you heard Asian on Asian crime? You don't think that's not a conversation that anybody ever says. And when a black man kills a white man, we don't stop and say the stats there is higher than ours. Right, and when a black man kills a white man, we don't get that. We don't. We don't get to say, well, you know, yeah, the white white on white crime, they killing each other. They don't have. We don't have a problem. We don't get to justify it that way. Got a question? Okay, so I want to bring the conversation all the way back to black, black. Black has been wrong since the beginning of time. Black has never been described as something beautiful. Black has never been described as something right. I grew up in a predominantly white town. Oh, there's the black girl. When the white girl walked in, you don't say there's the white girl. I was raised to think blonde hair was beautiful, fair skin was beautiful, blue eyes were beautiful. When a white person does something wrong, they don't say that white person over there stole, but when a black person does it, it's black. You have to go back to what we've even been programmed. We are just now able to wear our natural hair. We're just now able to get the knowledge of owning our own businesses, 
making our own clothing lines, being dark is now beautiful. There's makeup for us now. And so I think it goes back to the doctrine of black period, black on black crime. You've never heard white on white crime. You've never heard us say, well, white people, we would stop uh, beating you up if you start beating each other up. It's been so indoctrinated in us. And even with the black business, we're in ICE right now. How many people, uh, I tried to support a black business. How many times have you heard that I've tried to support a black business, but guess we say it to ourselves. We are so indoctrinated with that word black, with that word black. And I think that the thing is we have so much power as a people that if we truly learn to love ourselves, and like he says, build our own community. I've worked in corporate America my whole, I've got, I've got my bachelor's, I've got my MBA. I've worked in corporate America. I don't go to a job unless I'm middle level management or higher. And I outperform OSU, I outperform OU, I outperform SNU, I outperform my white male peers and I'm a young black woman. But guess what, I'm so aggressive. I'm so aggressive, nobody wants to work with, my white counterpart can have my same idea and it's gonna be praised when I say it. You're being a little bit hostile. I drive results because I'm a perfectionist at work, but I, I go to HR on her, just say she's hostile. So as a result, we've built our own business. We've built our own nonprofit. We're no longer scared of that, but I'm so tired of hearing the word black in a negative way, black on black crime. I guarantee there's nowhere where they're like, white on white crime. That white business pissed me off. I'm never going back to that white business. We have to love ourselves, we have to value ourselves, and we have to change the, the stigma in our head against black being negative. But I'm gonna tell you this, ever since, before you could ever talk, before you could ever walk, before you could ever talk, by watching TV, by looking at boot books, by having white dolls, you've been told that you're ugly, you've been told that you're wrong, and you've been told it so much that we're just projecting it onto ourselves. We're projecting it in every way. We're ugly, we're wrong, your business is gonna fail. How dare you wanna have a nail salon? How dare a black man wanna have a nonprofit? How dare a black man say black lives matter? We don't have to do that to each other. We really don't, and we're not wrong. We have to know that we are beautiful and we are loved. And we didn't come over here. They didn't steal slaves. They steal, they stole kings, they stole queens. And a lot of people get, I'm not gonna be all extra, be like, we're gods, because I don't, I don't believe we're gods, but someone call you a bitch, you gonna answer. Someone call you a nigga, you gonna answer. Somebody call you a god, oh no. I'm not a god. We have to change how we view ourselves. We have to build ourselves up. And when it comes to black on black crime, I know with our nonprofit, crime is crime. We have black on black crime, white on black crime, husband killing the wife, wife killing the husband, children ain't eight. This is the only meal that they get today. But I really just think it's about falling in love with ourselves and stop trying to compare ourselves to the white community. We're, we're, we're better than, we're, we're beyond that, but we don't know that. We're beyond a comparing myself to a white person or a white business. I'm beyond that. When I stopped, when we stopped working for white companies, they decided my salary. I done made that over and over again in my own business, and I'll never have to hear someone, you're hostile. No, I drive results because that's what I'm getting paid to do. But anywho, I'll get this back to y'all. <laughs> I just think, like I said, my thing is, I think we just kind of, it, it dilutes the argument. And I don't want it to dilute the argument. I want it to be as important together. And yes, as a community, we do need to stop shooting each other. We do need to stop pulling guns on each other. We do need to value each other's lives. But they need to value our lives as well. 
What are you saying, Duluth? Are you? What, what are you saying, Duluth? We're just like, you're not Because we don't realize that, like, my mom was born in 64, which means her parents were born in at least at least the 40s, the 30s or 40s. And you have to remember that we were still dealing with a lot of colorism, where we were pegged against each other because of the color of our skin. Not necessarily because of anything outside of that, but I'm lighter than you, so that means I'm better than we you. We still deal with colorism. And we do. Right, and we do. And so I think we're just in a... Just now getting to a place where we can stop and say we love ourselves. And I think it's hard. Sometimes what we look at and say is, oh, okay, it's black on black crime. You should love yourself. We should love our community. You know, it's hard for us to come up. Some of our parents, I've said this on previous podcasts, some of our parents had to literally focus on feeding their kids and surviving. It was hard for me to even, it's it's, it's hard for me to look in the mirror every day and love myself, much less to give you love and to tell you that you're beautiful and to tell you anything beyond that. But what I did enabled you to be able to be in a space where now you can stop and tell your kids every day they're beautiful because you don't have to worry about surviving every day because you're past the the, the survival phase. You're past that. So now you've passed that. You have the self-esteem to stop and tell your kids 
you're beautiful every day. And then we're going to feed that into our kids who feed that into their kids who feed that into their kids. And I think that that's how we create a solution for that. But I think sometimes what we do is we're so hard on ourselves because the world is very hard on us as black people. They expect us to be somewhere that we clearly that they have oppressed us over centuries to be somewhere below that. And they look at us and they're far beyond where we are. Yes, because they haven't had to deal with some of the same battles that we as people have had to deal with. But we know that and that's why we, we need to do. work that's harder. Yes. We always talk about it. I hear I, I talk to people every day and we talk about it, but we need to be about it. I get that we have our own battles and I get that we need to raise our own kids and we have our own struggles, but we need to take time. With, like we take time for everything else, we need to take time and teach our kids. But I take so time to teach my kids. So that it doesn't pass. So in my household, I take time to teach my kids. And I get that that's an everybody thing. No, I get that. But if everybody do that, then we I feel like we can change the mindset is what and I'm saying. And even if everybody's not doing it, just like we said before, everybody has to get involved. So what if I don't tell my kid? And I'm with you all the time. You teaching your kids. So you, I mean, so teach my so kids. teach my kids. But if I'm if with you, you all the teach, time, I'm going to teach your kids. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that everybody has to do that. Everybody exactly. doesn't surround themselves with people that's going to educate their and kids. And it goes so back to not, it takes a village. It, exactly. So it does take a village. And it may not, and it may, we may not have a village just yet. What we may have is... We definitely have is, a village. I mean, I'm saying we may not have a village just yet. So some people don't we have... definitely a, have a village. But some people don't have a village. What I'm telling you is some people are still in the survivor mode. So I may not have a village. But when you see a black kid, do you stop in it? It don't have to be your friend's child. It don't have to be your... Nobody's child that you know. I tell a lot of little girls that I see, a lot of boys that I see. I, and if you're black and I'm not gonna lie to you I tell them you are handsome you are beautiful yeah. do you know how powerful you are do you do that in the community when you're walking through the community period because it may not, we assume that everybody has a has a village but there are some people still living in that living by, by paycheck by paycheck trying to figure out how to survive mode even though my parents might have come out of my parents might have come out of it far enough to to get me somewhere I'm assuming that someone else's parents have we're not far enough in general I think sometimes to recognize some of the oppression that we're still dealing with. And I think sometimes we still, we struggle as a, as a people understanding that just because your mama and your grandmother and your great-grandmother were, they came up out of it, doesn't mean that everybody's grandmother and great-grandmother and people have. Some people got stuck in the 80s where they might have came up out of it, but they got strung out on drugs. Man. And so there's, there you have a whole nother battle where they pumped our community full of drugs and said, hell, so then how was your grandmother going to tell somebody that she was beautiful when, hell, every day she was high? I mean, and that might, not, like I said, it may be your story, but I think sometimes being able to give it to others, even when you're not the village, even when it's not my child, even when you don't belong to me, being able to still give that to someone else, I think is a solution because we assume that it's coming out of every home. But it may not be coming out of no, every home. I'm not saying home. it's coming out of every home. I'm just saying, for instance, if it's not coming out of my home, you be the one to step up. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying that everybody at home has a village. But I'm saying that if you don't see it in my home, then take you take that initiative. You take that initiative and help my child and educate my child. If you don't see that I am, I'm just saying it doesn't have to be your child. It can be anyone's child. I'm just 
saying take the initiative to step up. And what I'm saying is don't assume it's happening in every home. That you don't and assume I, that it's happening in every home. I never assume that. That's exactly why because the black community can't make it because we're so selfish. That's it. The black community is so selfish. What's not happening in your home, you shouldn't hesitate to help somebody yeah, else's home. That's right. That's why we don't that's make right. it as a community because the black people because are so down on one another. They don't want the next one to survive. They're so right. Or succeed. That's it. Succeed in that too. Because we're so selfish as a group in a community, we're never going to be on top. We're never going to be above the white man. Okay, we're so selfish. Or any other community, because let the Asian community, honey, they, they all living together. They 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 okay. so okay, I want to say something about his whole black on black situation. I think it's mainly because, so say for instance, if we are family, we are friends, we look at the black community as I feel like my black brother or sister and as family. So you hoping that he's not going to stab me in the back, literally, before the white, not giving the white man an excuse, and not saying, I'd rather be killed by the white man versus the black man, but if, 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 if death is upon me, I'd rather be killed by that white man than I would be that black man because I thought that was my brother. I thought that was my friend. If we reached back far enough, we was probably relatives. So if we end, like he said, in Penn Square Mall, if we end Penn Square Mall and you got beef with me and I got beef with you, we probably could have just rolled up and squashed that beef. You know what I'm saying? If they rolled up, we probably could have squashed that beef. I would have rather, and not saying I wanted to see that brother die, but I would have rather for that to be a white man. And I'm not saying that because... I want white on black crime versus black on black crime. But it should not be a such thing as black on black crime because you're supposed to be my family. I'm hoping that my family is not going to shoot me because that's my blood cousin. But that happens daily. It does. And so I'm not making excuses for the white man because the white man to shoot me. But I'd rather for that white man to shoot me than my own black. At the end of the day, do your ancestry, we probably blood. You understand what I'm saying? So it's not like, oh, don't holler black on black crime. No, I'm going to stand up and holler black on, stop shooting. Black people, stop shooting black people. If we supposed to be family. Now, again, what I was going to say about the research. So Tate gave us an assignment. Do your assignment, write your poem. So of course me, I'm going to do my research. The reason why it's black on black crime or Asian on Asian or white on white, because they're killing in the community that they're in. You don't see white on black crime or black on white crime or Asian on Mexican because that's not the community that they're in. Whoever had beef at that Penn Square Mall because they hung out together. It wasn't the kid in Norman that went to, you know what I'm saying, ran into the brother that went to Douglas. That's not what happened. So no, they're not going to have years of old beef. It was the brother that went to Douglas, the brother that went to Douglas. Guess what? We're going to have beef because we had, we were in the same community. That's why you see black on black crime because they're in the same community. But if we supposed to be blood and ancestors and follow years of years and we're family. I bet you if they run that history, them two boys were some kin somewhere or their grandparents knew each other or went to school, but y'all killing each other. Y'all beefing in the mall, probably over a female, which is 
remedial as hell. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to be more mad at the black on black crime than the white on white crime. You, you ain't going to be able to change my mind. Like, period. So I'm not. Because that's family. Let me that's, ask you a question. When yeah, you say right. don't do it, that's like telling the child, don't touch that. The child is going to do it. When you say don't kill somebody, why not say love this brother, love your brother instead of saying don't kill somebody? Because as soon as you put that don't in it, I'm a child. Yes, I'm going to do this. Yes. Exactly. Yes. You, you tell them what you want them this to do. This is my sister. I'm going to raise up in anything I do. Mika, you know me. Exactly. I, I, I coach basketball. I've been with my boys play basketball. I've been a basketball mom. And I see, I correct kids. I don't care if they like me or not. Right. You're not going to do that in my presence. You may do that around your mother. You may do that around your grandmother. But you're not going to do that in my presence. And I'm going to say it to you because I love you. Right. So I don't say, don't um, don't hit him. Don't do that. That's your brother. If you love your brother, why would you do that? Exactly. That's my problem with when we say black on black crime. That's but, my problem. But if, if, we're each we're other. Love, if we're loving each other, black on black crime But that's exist. the thing we have to say first. We got to start saying, love your brother, love your sister. We're not saying that. And, and and I can say it wholeheartedly. Those are not the conversations that are coming out. I work with several organizations. I was very unfortunate to have you. You spoke with our Delta, uh, our Embody program a few years ago. And that was a fantastic. We work with organizations all the time. But what I'm saying is that we've got to stop saying, stop doing this, and start saying the conversation should be, love this person. This is your black sister. This is your black brother. Love this person. Right. Okay, so I feel like we really have to change our mindset. If we're really going to work toward positive change, we have to change the way that we think because that's going to determine the actions that follow the way that we think. So we have to stop saying we're never going to do this, we're never going to do this. You know, no disrespect to you, but we can't continue to tell each other and to tell ourselves we're never going to be on top, we're never going to be on one accord because that's what we think. And so our actions are going to follow that. We, yeah, we, we can't continue to do that. We can't continue to compare ourselves to the Asian community, to the white community. We have to keep our eye on the prize. And that prize is for the black community to come together. So for that to happen, we have to just focus on what we're doing versus what somebody else is doing that we're not doing. Because anytime you compare yourself to someone else, you're always going to come out on the bottom and fall short. So we just have to focus on this is what we're doing, this is what we need to do, so now let's do it. Who cares what the Asian community is doing over there on 23rd? Who cares? What are we doing on this side of 23rd? So we got to start focusing on the change and not so much the, the mistakes or what has happened in the past. Let's just move forward from that. So how do we do that? I think sometimes also, though, we what we do is compare instead of learn. Because there's a lot of things that we can learn from the Asian community. There's a lot of things we can learn from the Hispanic communities. There's a lot of things we can learn from um, the white community. There's a lot of things we can learn from other communities to bring back to our communities to help develop them, to help build them up, to help make them better. Because at the end of the day, like I said, we aren't that far from oppression. We aren't that far from when they told us you couldn't have. And to be honest with you, it's not like it's much changed. So when we talk about like black on black crime, do you guys think that maybe the level of education has something to do with it? Do you guys believe that? So if you believe that, then we have to know now that we're still not. I mean, even though some of us have decided to move our kids out of the district. It don't, yeah, it don't take education. 
I don't think it takes education to, to pull a gun on someone, but I do think it takes education to elevate yourself to a point of saying that that's not where it takes. I don't need to go to that point. I think it's hard to tell people who aren't who haven't elevated themselves out of a, a oppressed community, out of a community where that's something that everybody's doing, to say that that's what that that's not normal. I think that we got to learn how to educate ourselves on identifying when we're starting to go through mental weaknesses. So then we need to be working on therapy, mental health. Like, yeah, we got to be able to, we got to be able to identify when we're going through those challenges and those things and also be able to find a way to, um, express it to someone and be able to, you know, oh, I figured, man, I love something that's going on with me, you know, uh, lately I just even myself. You can just sit out and talk. Maybe you can uh, tell me who I need to speak to or if I'm tripping or not. You know, we got to be able to start identifying the mental challenges that we go through personally because we walking around and we carrying this with us every day we wake up. And then sometimes you can, I mean, you bring harm to somebody, you just really wasn't in the right frame of mind that day, you know? So. I just think that's a stigma in the black community that we need to change because it's like, you know, like we, we've talked about on our podcast, we know that there's something wrong with Johnny or whatever, but we'd be like, oh, he all right. You know, he just needs to be do X, Y, and Z when he really needs therapy. He really needs to deal with whatever's going on in his household. And I think that, like, as a black community, we need to, like, let our kids know and ourselves know that it's okay to go to counseling. It's okay to talk to somebody. It's okay to get it out. Because sometimes we do need to talk to somebody and get it out that we don't even know. You know, and, like, you know, get in our minds and change. Be quiet.
spring break and we do the camps in the summer, some of those kids are only coming to the camp to eat. They're only coming up there to eat. And we have food that, that is a surplus and then it might. They're packing that food for their brothers or sisters, and that's why we just feed. Whoever comes up there, we just feed them. And you, there's some kids that all they do is once the food is out, they don't even go dance the rest of the time because they're eating. So if you look at someone that's in poverty, I don't have a car to go to a white neighborhood. I don't have a bus ticket to go to an Asian neighborhood. I'm hungry. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to survive. One of our campers, um, one of our campers actually, um, his his mother told him to stay in this house. You have to go, go get it. And going and get it means go with the rest of the family to Dillard's or whatever, these big stores. They sent all the children in their homes to the stores to do where you grab a bunch of clothes and you run out. The parents taught them that. That's one of our campers. That's a life that we touched. And so when you look at poverty and black on black crime, there's so much trauma. There's so many generational curses. There's so much that goes into it. And this same child, this same child, out of 200 kids last summer, I brought him on the stage in front of everybody at Cousins and in front of all his peers. And I told him, I was like, you're a king. You're a king, you're beautiful. Me standing up there just crying, everybody crying, telling me you're a king, literally two months later, because you're hungry. They told him he couldn't even come in the house unless he went and stole. So we have a lot to address in our community, but I think it all starts with love. Me personally, I like positive reinforcement. I don't want to hear you ain't ever this, and you ain't ever going to do that, and we ain't ever in the white folks, and I don't want to hear that. I'm, tell, me, tell me you love me. Tell me something positive. Tell me that you're proud of me that for what I did today, and I feel like you'll reach more people that way. Thank you for uh, feeding the children too, by the way. Because that's what we need. For that's what we need. More, we need more people doing that. Right. We have to be out in the community like that, though. Like, I think that that's the biggest thing. Is like I said, we assume that everybody has the ability to do it, and it's not. I think what happens is we've gotten blessed with parents who didn't, whose parents were able to overcome some of the things that they've overcome. And so they were able to feed into us something that they were able to feed into us. And so I think that's that's huge. I mean, and now we can feed into generations beneath us and underneath us. Um, and like, and community organizations are, I think, a, the first step. I think that's a huge step because it touches kids. I mean, like I said, I deal with, I've, I've dealt with families of generations of you ain't shit, and that's how they teach them. That's what they deal with. That's what they talk. That's how they talk to them. And so I'm the first person to ever say, well, you know, you can do, you know, you can try. You know you can do this, and even if it falls deaf on her ears or his ears, at the time, I'm the first person that's feeding into that person. But they need that. You know, but that's what I'm saying. It's hard they when it's... So the assumption that it's, it's coming from everywhere, I think sometimes for us is what's so hard. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like it's important for our black queens to really be lifting, uplifting our black kings as far as husband and wife? Very you know? much so. I think it should be a mutual thing. Yes. I think you should feed into me as much as I feed into you. And I think what has happened is we've stopped feeding into it. Is, is at some point, the black man kind of stopped feeding into because as much as we would like to say there's not a hierarchy of, of, of order there, there's a natural hierarchy. There's a natural protection. There's a natural, I think even if you're the woman who's really strong and you got a really strong personality, I don't care what, no, I've never met not one woman who didn't fight, who couldn't melt inside of a man's hands. 
even if it was if it was her dad, if it was her man, her husband, her boyfriend. So I think what has happened is we've lost that hierarchy, and a lot of that is generation stuff. Um, they've taken our men out of our homes, and so a lot of times what happens is we don't feed into each other. But I do think it has to start at the, the kind of it has to be mutual. Okay. Do you but, think that? Okay. Go ahead. I was going to ask, like, do you think that music has a lot to do with it? With the violence? I mean, with the violence and with the way, like, you think I'm being in I think overall it's a, it's a lot. You have music, you have kids wanting to do, you know, whatever, whoever they look up to and do and see, right? You know, if somebody say, hey, I killed this person, I sold this dope, you know, they idolize these people. And most of them are not doing what, they, what they're rapping about, right? Of course, you got video games that's saying, hey, you know, Grand Theft Auto, let's go and, you know, shoot and kill all these people is putting it on their mind and, you know, not, they're not thinking about it. And so we tell our kids, like, you know, you can't just shoot somebody and they come back alive. You know, that's what happened to my cousin in, in 2010 when we started Stop the Violence. You know, we had our first Stop the Violence camp actually here at Ice Event Center. You know, and this year we're celebrating our 10th year uh, working for the community. So uh, it's a lot of things that, you know, the kids, they just... You either give them positive, positivity, um, the things that you say to them, it can stick in their mind. If you as a parent say, hey, you ain't shit, you ain't gonna be shit, guess what they gonna be? Not shit. So no matter if they mess up in school, you know, you keep keep speaking the positive vibes into their life. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, uh, I think music can um, bring influence, especially, you know, depending on how dope the artist is, you know, um, I told people before, uh, when I was 17 years old, I remember Carter Three came out, that song 3P by Lil Wayne. And I was only 17, but I was playing them lyrics over and over for hours and hours and hours. And it just was so dope to me, you know. But Maggie, you know, somebody who's not in their right mind or, you know, not somebody that's taking, that's on drugs daily, you know, and they're playing this music, you know, and they're starting to think that they're this character, this person, you know, and then all of a sudden they get out of the world and they sit there act on something, you know, that they've been hearing the whole time. So I, I definitely think you got to... Um, be careful with you also waiting to you as well. So another one of our questions is why do we resort and gun so fast? How many of us have heard of coping skills? Until before, like in the last two years, coping skills, coping skills. Go to your room, breathe in, breathe out. You don't have to say everything that comes to your mind. You don't have to resort to violence. Like how many of us actually grew up in a house where somebody said, you probably need to use your corp coping skills. You getting out of hand. I don't think that's in a lot of black homes. It's not. And I, it I, needs I'm just to speaking be. for my own because I've never told exactly. my kids go deal with your coping skills. It's like you better check your attitude and you better go in your room and figure it out. So what happens like, is I think sometimes what, what translates from that is you better go figure that out is I'm about to go figure that out. And I don't think sometimes we've 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 learned to we've taught ourselves or taught our kids how to de escalate. I think I can say, like, I have panic attacks now. Like, it, it, it's a generation now. Like, my aunt has it, my dad has it. So, when I first started having them, I shut down. I don't know what this is. I was 12 years old having them. So, it was like, what am I experiencing as a 12 year old having panic attacks? So, my dad, my auntie, everyone has told me, like, relax. It's going to be okay. Like, we talk it out. So, you don't have too many. Parents who will just let you like talk to you and explain to you like 
it's okay. You might be young having these, but you know, it's we. I have them, and I think. I mean, I don't know if like purposely that parents are just like being, you know, just not doing it. I mean, a lot of parents, like we all three, I mean, single moms. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And we work. So I mean, I don't know if you have a lot of time. Again, that's gonna come back to that village. You know what I'm saying? You, you, I guess you can go ahead and talk and try to cope, but I mean, who told, who told, nobody ever told me like, you know, to go sit down and breathe in deep and, you know what I'm saying? Well, so one of my biggest things with Legend, and I, and I am a single parent, but I've watched him rage. When I say watched him rage, he was three years old, tearing up my house, trying anyway. And it was knocking stuff over. I had left out the door, you know, because y'all know Legend. He can be a bit much. I turned around, turned, got up, walked out the door because this was my way of not hurting him. And then when I walked out the door, he started raging. When I say rage... I came back in the house, stuff knocked over, he kicking and screaming at the door, he's three. And at this point, I could have either whooped him, because that's innately what we typically do, or I could have said, son, come here, you need to learn a different way to cope. And so what I started doing in my mind is I started saying, I don't want to raise an angry black man, because I could see that growing, I could see that monster growing in his body. You only three years old, where did you get this from? So I could see that monster growing in his body. So what I started doing is saying, I'm going to take a different approach. And people look at you weird when you like, go, you need to, you, you on 10, bring it down, and he starts counting down. Right. And we're at that point now, he, he, when I say, son, what's going on? He say, I'm on 10. I say, bring it down. But in our, in our community, it's looked, like, looked at like, oh, you just letting your kid run over you. But I, but I think we're all taught differently. So you, I don't know where you learned that from. But for me, I, I did. I used to whip my sons or whatever, whenever they would act up. But when I watched the movie Django, and when I saw how the slaves would beat the black men, that actually stopped me from whooping my kids. So, I mean, it didn't stop me completely, but it, it stopped me from, like, you know how, like, normally black people beat them to, like, you get tired, normally, because that's kind of how we grew up. And so it, it went to, like, doing that to, I'm going to just give you three licks. So just count to three. One, two, three. Or whatever, because, but then... Like Django, like seeing how they would beat black people that way, it just, it made me not even want to whoop my kids. So I think that different life experiences help us, but I think that that's just like just the different things that we go through. They, they become immune to that. What? They, the, 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 they, they do. They, my kids say, well, how many licks? <laughs> <laughs> okay, one. But I, I think it's also important to like, for a lot of us, I don't think that we, we recognize that there are that we do need to give our kids an ability to have an outlet. But we're somewhere not taught else that. To do we're that. not taught that. Right, we're not. And so the problem is we have a lot of, I mean, think about your life. If your life is, um, doesn't look anything like what you, what the world says it's supposed to look like. You got umpteenth kids, you got child support, you got this girl over here who ain't, she ain't learned no coping skills either. So every time she gets angry, she go upside your head or she talk crazy to you, she tell you you ain't shit. So eventually, what is going to come out of that? You might be a man who says, you know what, the next person that say I ain't shit or the next person that approached me today, 
Or the next person that got something to say to me, I'm, I'm letting him know. I'm going to let him have it. And, and even now if, that the gun laws change. Right. Exactly. Now that the gun laws change, I'm mad at her because this is the situation that we had, but I took it out on him. Or or he has something to do with why she acts the way she acts. Because right. let's be real. We do have a lot of triangulation. She's over there messing with him. She, they got a kid. She didn't came back to me. Now we back and forth beefing with each other because we don't recognize the priority is the kids. Right. So now we fighting with each other. And nobody's taught me that, no, you really don't need to go take this out on anybody. You need to try to figure out how to cope with that. Right. So I think of what's important is your kids. Yeah, a lot of, so, you know, we have been word between you know, 200, 250 kids that we deal with. Um, and a lot of issues that we see with a lot of the kids is, you know, they act out. You know, one thing that we found out is they act out for a reason. And so, you know, it's our responsibility for, you know, stop the violence is to figure out, okay, hey, what's going on? What's going on in the house? You know, like my wife was talking about earlier, you know, we had that one kid that, I mean, he was acting up every day uh, to the point where, you know, we were ready to kick them out because it was starting to impact other kids and they were starting to act out, right? And what we found out was one of his best friends just got killed. And so, you know, I could have easily just kicked him out, right? And not try to find out, okay, hey, what's the problem? And so for, for us, we have to say, what is the problem? You know, you gotta be willing to, to look at it and fix it versus just, you know, turning that shoulder looking the other way and saying, get this person out of my face. I agree. Uh, I think um, learning coping skills is very, very important. Um, I feel like smiling for me is a way that I cope. Uh, it's a defensive mechanism for a lot of things that I uh, I go through, you know, and because I never felt like I was the best at expressing my anger. You don't catch me angry a lot, but when I do get angry, I feel like, you know, I could go all the way to 100, and it's like, whoa, bro, you, you like skipped a few steps, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, what the way would happen? But most black men, and that's, that's what I'm saying, about that you did. back to, like, homes. Like, a lot of black boys probably don't have dads in the home. Or, you know, know, are they, yeah, you know, because they just have not been educated. Like, I, you know, I, I, my son can go from zero to 100 real quick. But I'm pretty sure, I mean, once you dig into it, it's like, you know, it, it's certain reasons that he's mad. You know, he's mad because maybe his dad ain't in his life. He's mad for a lot of reasons. But then we praise right. things like zero to 100 real quick. We have a whole song that we all walking around here singing. I go zero to 100 real quick. And I, maybe that might be part of it, is our culture has been more of a just deal with it versus address it. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think we've, I don't, I don't think we've taught our kids to deal with it. Like, it's not okay to go from zero to 100. Because I, I have a child as well, and I don't know if it's a personality thing. Like, he's only 12, and I'm struggling with it. Like, I don't know if it's a personality thing, like, where he goes from zero to 100. And I'm trying to be like, and I tell him, like, you're you're cool one minute and then like you on 10, like the next. Like I don't really know how to deal with you. And, and unfortunately, like as a mother, like I am doing the best I can. And I think that a lot of mothers do the best they can because we're not men. You know, we, we can't teach you how to be a man. Like we can do the best. Like different with girls. I do. Yeah, because I'm a female and I can relate to like the emotions, but I don't know, like, all the emotions that, that boys deal with and go through, you know, as a male you, and growing up get, to be a man. So that's when you get uh, other males involved. Exactly. So you have your mentorship programs, right? And not just, and you can't just give your child to anybody. That's what I see a lot of parents doing that, right? They, 
don't want to be my chapter this therapist, right? Right. They they just trying to make some money. They don't really care. Not not yeah. all of them. I didn't say all, but we have some that that I know personally that are just out there. Hell, he's not even thinking about young people. So, right? How you gonna give advice? So that that's my biggest thing is the mentorship. You know, when I was growing up, when I lived in thirty six apartments, you know, like I said, I had my dad. But it was a guy, he worked in the apartments, and one day he told me, like, hey man, don't join games. And I listened. Once I got in middle school, I had another mentor. So it was different things like that that really helped keep me going as a man. And, and if we give the kids, if we can't do it, you do have to reach out for help. You do have to edu educate yourself. If you don't understand coping skills, guess what? Get that therapist, right? That's taking us right down those walls and figure it out. This one question, were you part of Safe Club? And I think something else we have to do too is make sure that when you find something your child is really invested in or passionate about, us as parents, we have to learn to really support them and invest in those talents as well because that that's a, a key to a lot of anger issues that go on too is maybe the child you can play for their life. I'm doing everything I can to kind of make this thrive, to make this pop, but I can't figure it out, you know? And maybe don't know how to speak up and really come to mom or dad and be like, you know, hey, I'm struggling with this. I really need help making this, you know, be successful. Because at the end of the day, we all searching for a way to be accepted, you know, amongst others and to get our gratitude, our, our, our peace of mind. We all try to find that safe zone to be accepted. So I think whenever children find that passion that they're really good or something that you see the potential in, make sure we push them and we're supporting them and we're really investing into those great traits of theirs. Hello. Mm -hmm. So I've just kind of been sitting over here listening to everybody. And of course, everybody comes with their own perspective, right, based on right. whatever environment they grew up in. And so I work in, in law enforcement corrections. And so, of course, I'm dealing with people that are already in the system. And it makes me look at how I parent totally different, right, than before I was in law enforcement. Um, and, and I listen to people say it starts at home and starts at home. I've questioned myself as a parent on what did I miss? What, what could I have done differently? Um, but the bottom line is you can instill all the values and ethics that you have inside of you and you can pray for your children and you can do all those things and they can still do their own thing because That's God true. gave everybody free will. Very right. true. You do what you're supposed you, to do. You do what you're supposed to do. And prayerfully, you know, you raise a child in the way they should go and hopefully exactly. they'll return to that. Um, but I just like to say, I mean, I have an 18-year-old son. He's played football since he was five years old. And he's always said he wanted to go to the NFL, right? It's one of those things, you know, in our community, that's the thing. You know, either you're going to be an athlete or you're going to be a rapper, right? We don't talk about other things, typically, right? Um, my son, Yang, he earned a, a football scholarship in UCLA. So he, he had his first semester, last semester. He failed four classes. Four, one, two, three, four. Um, that's not what I taught my son. You know, I didn't let him work when he was a teenager because I knew, right, I have a son and a daughter. My daughter's 17, my son's 18. I didn't let my son work because I knew his attention span was really short. So I'm like, son, I need you to get this scholarship 
So I need you to focus on your grades and I need you to focus on the football field. He did that and he earned a scholarship. My daughter, she's 17, she's had a job since she was 16. But she's different, she's a straight A student, right? So you, you do them differently, but a lot of times as parents, we think we can parent our kids the same. Our kids are not the same people. That's true. So we have to learn what it is that triggers them, we have to learn all those things. But one of the things that I find interesting that we haven't talked about and haven't touched on is um, blended families, which really, I grew up in a dysfunctional family. My father was in the home, but he was uh, on drugs. <laughs> so even though he was there, you know, he, he was an alcoholic. I seen abuse in my house. I saw a lot of things, but he was in the home. But just because you have a, a body in the home doesn't mean that there's a connection with the children. But you have so many broken homes, and even with the blended families, you got, I, I hate using those terms, baby mom and baby daddy, but you, you have the children that are in your home. I had seven kids in my house. I had five step kids and then two children that, that I birthed that I did not share with my husband. Um, but every time they got upset about a decision that was made in our household, they would run to their mother. So when you have all those different factors that are playing in, so I had, um, seven years ago, I had a 16-year-old stepson. He got upset about some discipline in our home. He went to his mom's house, and she came right, you know, she came right away and picked him up. Um, Two weeks later, he was hit by a drunk driver because he was out at 2 o'clock in the morning when he shouldn't have been, right? 2 o'clock in the morning, 16 years old, he has traumatic brain injury. Fast forward, 2015, 18-year-old stepson, killed, murdered, made a quick trip. Um, so it's not always about what you don't do because they have free will. My son, He's at UCO. We basically, you know, had to sit down with the coaches and say, please give us another chance. And they did that because they know he's talented and they like him as a person. Um, but, but blended families definitely played a big role because you have so many other factors and people in their ear and, you know, oh, well, your daddy ain't nothing and your, you know, your, that, we need to come together as a family. The way I always looked at it, my kids, their stepmom, I'm like, please, that's the one more person that can love on my child. That's one more person that can, you know, can help. But for some reason, we, we have this dysfunction where we just, we, we spew hate and, you know, that negativity in the air instead of being positive and really wrapping arms around. Somebody said something about Village earlier. It used to be that way. It takes a village to raise a child. That is a real thing. Your neighbors used to be able to discipline you. You know, if your parent wasn't around, they go like, oh, you're going to get it. And you might get it twice. So we, we've gotten away from that. And I'm not saying that we have to beat our kids, but there de definitely has to be discipline. A lot of those guys that are in prison, it's because there was a lack of discipline. You know, they felt like they were on top of the world and, and they were there were no repercussions for the behavior, or they just didn't, they didn't know. You know, they didn't have, you know, coaches or mentors or somebody in their life that don't say, listen, and I don't care whose kids you are, and a lot of times I don't let kids come over to my house because the minute you discipline their child, and I would tell parents, if your kid comes to my house, 
they're going to succumb to whatever discipline I have. They're going to respect my house. They're going to respect my rules. So if you can't deal with that, then they can't come. You know, but I don't care if I see a kid out here with their pants sagging down, I'm going to say something. But guess what? That don't stop my kid from wearing sagging his pants when he's not in my presence. You know, and I'm still, at 18, I'm still, you know, I'm still grabbing his pants and pulling them up. You know, he feel like he's grown. But anyway, um, I, I just think that we definitely need to grab our kids while they're younger. You know, like you said, you talked about your son, you know, at three years old. Where is he getting it? It's so many other things. TV, you know, a lot of times TV is parenting our kids. You know, we'll send them because it's a babysitter. You know, there's so much violence, violence in cartoons now. Exactly. You know, we used to watch the Smurfs and the Jetsons and the, you know, it, it was right. different. It's different. Things right. are just that's different. Sorry, I mean, I oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. But I do think that that's important too because it's crazy. I was thinking about like blended families um, because I read a meme. You know, memes are so popular these days. And how we talk to our children about other parents, and how we talk to our children about other adults, and how we, you know, um, put that out there. Even if you're sorry, I don't need to tell you that your daddy's sorry. Like. That's not painting a picture for you to even, even if one day your daddy does turn around and decides to be something different, that's not painting the picture for respect for him. Right. Bro, exactly. Please. It's not giving him the ability to rear you in a way that he needs to rear you because at some point, what if he does change? What if he completely, what if he, you know, has something that knocks on his head? I, I tell people all the time, I don't know what the change was in my stepdad. I have no idea. I wasn't there for that change, but I was, I was able to see that change in him. And I mean, I could imagine what it would have been had my parents or my mom been like, well, he ain't shit anyway. He ain't going to do nothing. He ain't ever going to help y'all. He ain't here to help y'all. Like, so I think that it's important also as parents, whether you have a blended family, whether your family, no matter what that family is, I think we all have to somewhat, I'm like you. Um, my dad stepped on my car, and I'm like, hey, he got to read. So while y'all have him down there, can y'all make sure he's reading while he's with y'all, you know? Can y'all make sure he's practicing his words? He got a spelling test coming up, you know? It takes a village. Y'all help me while I'm while he's down there, you know? He's got this and this going on. Can, I mean, if, if somebody can get a ball and help him dribble, you know, because I don't know how to dribble. Can somebody else do it with him while y'all down there? Because that'll help me too. I'm the same way, but I do feel like a lot of times we have gotten into this, well, you know, what again, mental health. A lot of us aren't coping with the ability or the fact that he's not with me. And he's not parenting my kids in his house. And he and so that's an issue for me. And so instead of me learning how to cope with that emotion or dealing with that emotion properly, what we're doing is telling our kids he ain't shit. Uh, I was gonna say that, bro, you ever had a homeboy when you was younger who seemed like he could stay the night at your house every single night. You know what I'm saying? And um Situations like that, you know, I think you gotta deal with opportunities where, yeah, it's really not your job, you know, it's really not your personal job to take in that child. But there were opportunities where I feel like us being older, we have to really try to assess the situation and see if this if this a door open up where this kid might really need some love that he's not receiving at home. And I think that um, those are things we have to think about as well when. You know, you have children that are seem like they're never home, or you know, and you don't want to just consider them homeless. But I mean, at one point, I was, told one of my friends, I was like, "Man, you might as well live here the way you always over here." You know? Yeah. So, there's a lot of kids. Sometimes you don't know how powerful your words are. You know, you can't have parents at the house.
that's bad or not saying, you know, you're beautiful. And to hear somebody else say that's an adult, you know, you're like, dang, I am. I never think that about, I think that way about myself, right? That I'm smart. I always hear that I'm dumb or I ain't gonna be nothing. So words are very powerful. I know when we were younger, we always heard that sticks and songs make break my bones, but words may never hurt me. That's a lie. Well, it's a huge lie because now you have all your, your bullying, which is, I mean, hugely tied to suicide. Uh, I know when we brought that conversation up with the kids in our, you know, when we talked to a lot of kids at different schools throughout the year, and to see how much of an impact it's really impacting the kids these days. And uh, even when we had to talk at a, uh, I did a corporate retreat for uh, signing at the corporate office. And you know, we were talking about it, and one of the people was like, well, back in my days, you know, we didn't have that. Well, hell, we didn't have internet where somebody can post something and then with the flip of the dot, guess what, everybody had it. So we talked to the kids, we talking about sexting too. Um, a lot of parents get mad because, you know, hey, you send my daughter's pictures out to somebody. And we talk to the kids about it and say, guess what? Once we get law enforcement involved, we say, you know, your child, your daughter is going to get charged for distributing porn. These are high school kids, middle school kids. He's going to get charged too. So now do you want to pursue this and both of them go to, you know, get a charge for it because it's something big now these days. It's funny you say that because I literally just heard last week that if, and this is something I think we all need to know, especially with younger children, that if your son or your daughter receives a new picture and you do not report it right away, they are now in possession of pornography and they child can be pornography. child pornography and they can and they can press charges against your child for something that someone else sent to your child and a lot of times we don't think about that in regards when it comes to our boys because our boys is like i mean she what if she was his girlfriend but some girl that liked him and he saw the picture he liked the picture he didn't come and tell you he got a picture but those are the kind of things that i think we need to be educating our kids about like, it's things like that where I think sometimes we just don't know, so we don't tell or we don't say. And then, again, I think, like, the sticks and stones might break my bones for words that never hurt me. I think a lot of times we've just learned to deal. We've been in a culture of dealing. Just deal with it. It's okay. They talk until about you. you. They tease you at school. Just deal with it. Right, until you explode and then go and shoot somebody at the mob, you know, instead of coping with things. So I know that we have to wrap up. So Tavi, tell us a little bit about your organization and what you do. Um, so I am CEO of Poetic City. We are a poetry entity. We love performing all over Oklahoma and different states. Uh, we You can look up Poetic City on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We have videos. Uh, we do live performances. Uh, we have music artists, poets. We're trying to be the ultimate networking system. So that's, that's the goal, that's the vision. Um, like I said, if you need any entertainment or uh, any dope content, definitely don't hesitate to uh, reach out. Oh, and then y'all have something coming up new that we just saw on your page that's getting ready to start happening every Sunday. Go on the plug. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so every Sunday at the Paseo Plunk in the Paseo Art District, uh, I'll be doing Poetry Night. Poetry City will be hosting Poetry Night. Come out. It'll be from 6.30 to 9. Come out. You'll have a great time. Um, it's a good way to release get any type of feeling that you may be holding in, it's a good way to get it out, help us be able to uh, walk back into the streets with the same head.
So I do have a question because I did see your video of you standing out on different corners, you know, uh, with the blacks stop killing each other. So what inspired you to do that? Well, um, I had seen several killings that were going on within our community, you know. Um, and then the last straw for me was when YT had passed away, you know. That one uh, kind of hurt. Um, it did hurt. Uh, and I saw a lot of other people affected by it as well. And from that point on, I was like, I mean, I have Poetic City. That's the best weapon I got right now, you know. And I was like, I'm going to use my platform to try to to try to fight this battle we fight, you know. Um, rather you say a black, uh, a black or black crime, they're not saying it. Bottom line, as black folks, we all do love each other, find ways to be with each other, support each other. We, the way more love we can give each other as a black community. So um, after that happened, that definitely um, pushed me to want to um, push the gears on trying to create loving and safe zones and loving outlets as much as possible. So, Quentin, what about you? What started your organization and where can people reach you? So, for me, ours started in uh, 2010. Um, the incident happened on Mother's Day. Uh, my little cousin was driving down the street and saw some girls fighting, and the guy out of the car and broke up the fight. As he was walking back to the car, the guy that was right there, he shot him in the back. Um, so, in this car was his little brother, which was in elementary at the time, and his little sister. Uh, she was in high school. So I want to do something that was more impactful, where we can really engage and touch the youth and teach them that the things that they do right now, today, impact their tomorrow. Um, so that's all the choices that they make, instead of, you know, committing murder, right? right. While you're sitting there in prison, like she deal with, and saying, I wish I could have done this a different way. Right. And so we're trying to give the kids, you know, tools to succeed. And where can I reach you? Um, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, at StopTheViolenceOK.com. is our website at StopTheViolenceOK.com. Uh, we have a host of events. Of course, everybody knows about our spring and summer break camps that we deal with the kids. Uh, we do 4 through 18. Uh, everything is absolutely free. Uh, when we were here at ICE, we started with about 15 kids in 2010. And now we're at anywhere between 200 plus at each camp that we have. How many camps do you have? So we only have two a year. So throughout okay. the year, we focus more on schools. So we do a lot of different school tours where we talk about violence. We talk about, you know, what it means to be safe. We talk about, you know, sex. We have uh, workshops with uh, a lot of teachers. So we did something with the Edmond uh, School District and also the Oklahoma City Public School District with the teachers on signs to look for for uh, child abuse, whether it's neglect, uh, sex abuse, or even you know physical and mental. Uh, we're trying to give them the tools that they need for that too. Um, so this year, like I said, we celebrate the 10th year. Uh, we have a host of different events. So. Of course, we always need funds for the organization just because that's one thing we always want to do is just keep the money for free. Uh, like she said earlier, we feed the kids every day and get t-shirts. That's where the t-shirt company came from because that was one of our biggest costs. Okay. And so it was like, man, I'll just buy this machine and go from there. And so that's where that business came from and it took it to a whole different level. Nice. Okay, Teddy, where can they reach you? 
Uh, like I said, y'all can find me on Poetic City, everything, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Poetic City, just type it in, you'll find me. Okay, you got a close out for you? Well, and we first want to thank both of you guys for coming, taking time out to actually come and actually share our platform with us. So thank you both, Tavi and Quentin. Yeah, because we kind of just reached out. And I can say I appreciate that because, I mean, everyone that we've reached out to thus far has been very supportive of just, like, our platform and how, like, um, come on the platform, even no matter, like, when we reach out. Like, so we appreciate that. That's big. This is dope. <laughs> I mean, it's like taking time out of your day and taking time out of um, what you have going on. So we truly appreciate that. Thank you for sharing your platform with us on that. Um, okay, so after this live event, next month's live event, we'll have two. So we're going to have one on February 14th at Pony Boys in Oklahoma City for Valentine's Day. Um, it's still time for any man who wants to date me and Dante. We're on the on the block. Is that we're on the auction and block? That's what Tavi said. No, no, no. That's what Eddie Roscoe said. That's what Roscoe said to us. We're on the auction and block. I mean, so auction. Put up your auction for me and Dante, and you'll get a night on the town with the two of us. It's not an auction. A date night. It's definitely not. It's not an option. No, it's not option. Definitely going on a date with these two ladies. Double date, or? right? No, no double dates. Single dates. Two separate. Two separate dates. Um, and then um, after that, we will be to discussing the dates at the February fourteenth um, live event at Pony Boy. So um, that is a free event for anybody who wants to come out with their significant other. Um, they're giving out. We're giving out um, different items at that event as well. So I say it's a win-win. It is a way for you to get out on date night to do something different outside of going to go get something to eat. They have a bar there, so you guys can drink. You guys can, um, you know, enjoy the entertainment and all of that as well. And hear about how me and Dante's date goes. Um, but and then following that, we'll be back here at the Ice Event Center on February the sixteenth. So every um, at seven o'clock, well, we start at seven, but actual recording actually starts about seven thirty. So we'll be back here at um, the Ice Event Center. Shout out to Mark Flemings for always opening up this space for us and allowing us to be um, here every third Monday of the month. We appreciate that. We appreciate all of the Ice Event Center um, employees for being here and staying here and opening up. DJ Eddie Roscoe. Thank you for coming in and um, doing this with us as well. Um, shout out to you guys. Also, um, we are on Seattle Hip Hop Radio every Monday and Friday. So today is Monday. There was an episode today. There will be another episode on Friday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. You guys can either download the app on your mobile devices or you can go to seattlehiphopradio.com to listen. Um, that is a black-owned um Actually, it's like a Pandora. So it's like a radio station. He has several different um, podcasts, and Cheryl Underwood goes on before we do. Um, there's a couple of podcasts that come on after we do, like on Mondays. So I say push through your day on Mondays and Fridays with us. Um, and then we are on um, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and YouTube every Sunday. Um, a new episode is posted. Um, and if you guys want to go back, rewind, go back and listen, you can do that on those um, on those platforms. Um, we'll have all of our episodes posted. This episode will not post next Sunday. It will post the Sunday after. 
because we had a recording on last um, on last night. Um, so, uh, but we will post this as well, um, and you guys will be anyone that was able that missed us will be able to listen at that point as well. So, um, we are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and um, oh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I think that's all of them. Yes. Okay. Mocha Tea Podcast, just one word on all of them. Um, on is it Mocha Tea Podcast on Facebook? It's Mocha Tea, Mocha Tea Space and then Podcast. Minds, yeah. Okay. Yeah, if you look us up that way, you'll be able to find us. And then we're on Mocha Tea 2018 at gmail.com for any inquiries or bookings. And that is it. We are out. Can I have Peace. A book?